let's talk about the best coaching option for you. Individual coaching sessions are for clients who would like a one-time session with me instead of jumping into doing my private coaching program. This is a perfect way for you to get some insight and receive some quick tips to help you in your life. In this session, we will talk about what has been weighing heavy on your mind or how to cope better with your own personal situation. Talking with me on these issues will give you the foundation of what you need to help bring more knowledge and self-awareness into your life regarding something you have been holding on to for a while now. If you are interested in a one-time session with me, please register below. Links are provided. Hey guys, welcome back to Heal, Survive, and Thrive. I'm super excited because I have Shannon Jackson here from A Healthy Push. Um, I want you guys to go find her on Instagram right now. We're going to talk about everything anxiety related. And I love, love this topic because someone who has suffered with anxiety has had panic attacks. And if you've ever had one, it is probably the worst feeling in the world. So we're going to talk about all of that. And we're going to give you some tips, right? Some stuff that has worked for us, um, to hopefully help you guys if you are suffering. So Shannon, thanks so much for joining. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And this is one of my absolute favorite topics to talk about. So, (laughs) Well, and I love that you, you know, solely when I saw your stuff, I was like, first of all, I just love your videos. I love your little skits of you, you know, on one side of the driver's seat, on the other side (laughs) of the driver's seat, basically having this conversation, your mind, essentially having this conversation with yourself. And it's so relatable and so true because that's really what's going on in the head when this stuff is going down. Yeah. And people don't see that, right? That is like something that I identified, you know, these are things that actually happened. These are things that I went through, thoughts that I had, like really tough stuff that I had to work through and nobody sees or hears what's happening when you're having these really highly anxious moments or panic attacks. So I wanted to be able to show this is what it looks like. And here's how you can start to respond in a healthy way. So, so and I think it's important for people that are like super new to this stuff where they're just realizing that, I mean, for me growing up, I didn't know it was anxiety. Like I didn't know that my mom wasn't able to label that for me. She always said, you're nervous, Nelly. You're nervous, Nelly, or I would get belly aches, you know, as a child and I'd be like, mom, I'm sick. Like I can't go to school. I have a belly ache. And I didn't know what it was. So, um, I think just even anyone nowadays, you know, like a 16 year old watching your video to me, that would have been such an eye opener to be like, wait a minute, I have that conversation in my head. And it looks like that. <laughs> let's talk about, and I, I really wanted to dive into this. Let's talk about, um, agoraphobia, mm-hmm. like the fear of leaving or being, I guess, out of your comfort zone. So let me hear your thoughts on that. I'm just going to throw it at you. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. So agoraphobia is one of those things that like has so many misconceptions to it. Like people's automatic thoughts typically are you struggle with agoraphobia and you don't leave your house. And it's like, Mm -hmm. not the case. Some people Mm -hmm. do struggle with being housebound, but with agoraphobia, it's typically the immense fear of experiencing panic and fear outside of, just like you said, your Mm -hmm. comfort zone, your safe zone, wherever you've designated that to be. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes for many people, it is their home, but Mm -hmm. for many others, it can be your car. It can be Mm -hmm. a friend's house. It can be a store because there are a lot of people around. It can be Mm -hmm. anywhere where you feel like, 
okay, I am not in danger. I feel more comfortable or I'm in this place or situation and I'm likely not going to feel anxious or experience a panic attack. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is something that I of course struggled with for years and years. And for me, I wasn't housebound. I still went to work. I went to school. I was in college when I was struggling severely with agoraphobia and Mm -hmm. it was incredibly hard for me to leave my house. It was incredibly hard for me to drive. I struggled with anxiety for years and years. And it was really that thought of, I don't want to experience panic and the fear outside of my home. I don't want to experience it in a classroom. I don't want to experience it while I'm driving. I would always convince myself, you know, this is more dangerous experiencing anxiety or panic outside of your home. So, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people that can relate to, yeah, that's, that's stuff that I struggle with. It's not just about, you know, being afraid to walk outside of my home. It's much bigger than that. Mm. Um, So yeah, that's just a little bit about what agoraphobia can look like and what it is. Do you think that there's like a solid trigger that triggers agoraphobia? Like there's, I mean, anxiety is anxiety, but you know, the fear of public speaking, I think is like the number one thing that will cause someone to feel anxious. I'm sure yeah. after 9-11, you know, getting on a plane was another anxiety after COVID. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like all of these traumatic events that happened for sure are going to, you know, trigger some anxiety. But for people that have struggled with agoraphobia, do you think there's something that happened that triggered that specific anxiety? Yeah, it's typically panic. (laughs) You experience panic. And then that is like the main thing that you always are going to circle back to. I don't want to experience that again. And I especially don't want to experience that in situations where I'm not comfortable in places where I'm not comfortable. You know, it really is trying to escape that. I don't want to feel anxious and I don't want to experience panic. And for many people, you know, there are other contributors of agoraphobia. um, But for most people, it's, I don't want to experience the panic. And then Mm. they get into, you know, some behaviors that can be really unhealthy, like avoidance and seeking reassurance that just reinforces the anxiety and sort of keeps you stuck. So, You tend to think like, you know, if I avoid that place, if I avoid that situation, that's going to help me when sure, you probably feel some short-term relief, not being in certain places or situations, but it's not the place or situation that's causing the anxiety or the panic. So by you avoiding it, it's really just doing yourself a disservice because it's teaching your brain that scenario, that place, that thing is Mm -hmm. dangerous. You need Mm -hmm. to stay away from it. So then your brain gets that message, right? Of, yeah. okay, we, we can't drive in the car. We can't go to the grocery store. We can't go to the movie theater. We can't go on dates. We can't do all of these things because that yeah. might happen. <laughs> I think for me, I got the part about making sure that it didn't cause, I, I didn't feed the anxiety meaning. I mean, I definitely did for years. Don't get me wrong. But once I really started understanding this stuff, I pushed myself out of that comfort zone to do it, even though I knew I felt anxious prior to doing it because of the story. Let me take a step back. Actually, that was probably the biggest takeaway was understanding that it was a story, Mm -hmm. understanding that it wasn't real and that I didn't need to know where it came from or why is it this way? To be frank, understanding too, that I was highly sensitive when I got the, I'm a, I'm a highly sensitive person that my brain's super creative and that it can make up the craziest scenarios. <laughs> then I was like, Oh, I'm not a freak. Like this is actually a thing. And like, I got to label it. And, you know, I had, I got to learn 
coping skills and how to take care of myself that would help me to not have the anxiety get triggered, you know, like caffeine, not having magnesium, like not getting enough sleep, not getting enough exercise, not getting enough vitamin D, not being out in nature, like things that wholeheartedly, to be frank, whether you're highly sensitive or not, you should probably be mindful of, but for someone who's a little bit more sensitive needs to be a little bit more in tuned, right. With themselves to take care of themselves in that way. So that in combination with understanding that it was just a story and understanding that, okay, we're not going to not do something because that's not the right answer either. And pushing myself, I think all of those things combined kind of helped, but it still didn't stop it completely. Can you give some tips for someone like myself who, okay, I'm fully aware of all of this, but in the moment, if I get triggered, what do I do? Yeah. So I want to go back because you said a couple of things that I think people are really going to be able to resonate with, right? Yep. It's usually, you mentioned something about the anticipate, anticipation, sorry. So usually it's, you have so much anticipatory anxiety surrounding, yeah, I'm going to push myself to do this thing, or I'm going to do this thing, but it's already causing me to feel so much anxiety. And so it really is about what are those stories that you're telling yourself? Because really what we tell ourselves is usually not a true depiction of our realities or things that are likely to happen or things that have even happened before. So it's really important. Like a major thing that you're touching on is having awareness, like being aware of what the heck is even going on in your brain because usually we're just so on autopilot that like we just let these thoughts and the stories come in and then we respond to them in such an unhealthy way. And it's not that we're intentionally doing it, right? We're not like, you know, actively trying to sabotage ourselves, but it's really hard to know, okay, how do I, you know, work to overcome this? How do I change this? And one of the first steps really is being aware because our brains are so complex, but they're just, you know, they're so creative. They're going to do what any human brain does. It doesn't matter whether you struggle with an anxiety disorder or not, Mm -hmm. your brain is going to go to creative places. It's always going to come up with the next thing. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're afraid of this. Let me take it one step further. You're afraid of that. Let me take it one step further. So the next thing, you know, you're like, okay, I'm really anxious about going to the store. And then you're like, well, what if I pass out when I'm in the store? What if the ambulance has to be called? (laughs) Like you always jump to the next. You know, there's a person laughing. That's like, um, (laughs) that's anxiety. That's like, what if I literally just freak out. That was my, always yeah. my thought. Like, what if I'm in this interview and I just, I just freak out. Like, yeah. what if I just ran out that door? Right yeah. Oh yeah. It's we've so all, crazy. Yeah. And we've all had those thoughts. And I think, you know, when you struggle with an anxiety disorder, you really hone in on those things mm. and you start to think like what you were saying, like, I'm weird. I'm crazy. There's something mm. wrong with me. And it's like, okay, hold the phone. Like, let's back up and just acknowledge I'm human. My brain is doing what human brains do. They love to tell stories. They love to throw out all these creative ideas. And it's really about having, starting to develop that awareness of, okay, this is happening. Mm-hmm. I, you know, this story is being created, because you can't stop the thoughts, right? I hear this all the time. It's like, well, Shannon, how did you start to begin to control your thoughts? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah, no. That is not what recovery is about. You can't stop your thoughts from coming in. You can't control them. The only thing that you can really do is respond to them in a healthy way. And that is, I'm acknowledging that the thoughts there, I'm acknowledging that I'm feeling this sort of way. I don't want to feel it, right? I don't want to have these thoughts. But when you start to try to fight and push back, 
back against those things, Mm. that's when they get even louder. That's when they become even more, you know, vicious and start to take over things and start Mm -hmm. to, you know, decide whether or not you, how far you go or who you go with or who you do things with, all that sort of stuff. So I really love to teach like step one, you've got to have an awareness. So you've got to say, okay, in this moment, I am feeling incredibly anxious. I feel my heart pounding. My hands feel sweaty. I feel shaky. My legs feel a bit, you know, unsteady. I'm worried about, you know, what if my legs give out? What if I can't walk out of this place? What if I pass out? Like acknowledging that all that stuff's there and it's okay. Like let it be there and try not to respond to it. You know, this stuff takes practice, but not responding to it in such a judgmental way of being like, I need to stop thinking this. I can't believe I'm thinking this. Like, this is so ridiculous. I, what is wrong with me? It's like, nope, let's just let all of it be. And let's allow the thoughts and the feelings in. And then it allows you to start to acknowledge your brain starts to then say, oh, okay, we feel this way Mm -hmm. and we can feel it and still move about the world. We can still do things. And yeah, it sucks. It doesn't feel comfortable, but we can feel the discomfort and still continue to move forward. So I think like, you know, some of the major things that is really hard is doing this work because you're so used to how do I not feel anxious? How can I get rid of it? How do I stop feeling this way? And the hardest part of recovery is the way that you stop it is by changing your relationship with it and allowing it in, allowing it to just be there. Yep. Yep. I think there were so many, I was like, take, trying to like type as you're talking and I'm like, (laughs) I want anyone to hear the keyboard going, but you touched on some things that I want to highlight. I want to highlight that first off hundred percent, it's a practice. It is like, and it sucks. Cause I wish it was as simple as like, you know, let's take a pill, let's flip a switch. And it's just not. And I think when you're really doing this, there's a huge self-development piece that happens where you really learn how to take care of yourself in this way. It sounds corny, but it's like such a beautiful thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that. I can see your face. You're like, Oh my God, this is like yummy. And I feel it on like a deep level <laughs> because when you know how to do this and you're like, shit, I just, did that like and I got through that because you're not feeding it the other thing that you said that I thought was so spot on and I don't know how you said it but basically what you were saying is detachment like I have to learn how to detach from the story that's like the biggest thing and it's actually probably one of the things that I think most people will struggle with because the addiction is or not the addiction but the unawareness you know where you're just completely unaware of what's going on is you go on autopilot and autopilot is I feed it and I'm scared of it. And I'm, I'm going to stay like this forever. And it's going to take me down a rabbit hole or yeah, I'm on the highway and I'm freaking out. Like, you know, and to not attach so much to that, that is the biggest practice. At least it was for me learning how to not attach to every single story that was coming up and every single thought literally saved my life, changed my life hundred percent, not judging the thought. That yeah. was another big thing. Like don't judge that you're anxious right now. It doesn't mean you're going to be anxious every day for the rest of your life. It doesn't mean that you're a freak. It doesn't mean that you're mentally ill. It doesn't mean that you're crazy. It means you're human and you're experiencing a human thing based on your makeup. So for Stephanie, she's highly sensitive. If she's not super taking care of herself sometimes, then she might get a little anxious from time to time. So for me, this really helped at night. I don't know why the at night anxiety of like waking up with anxiety or in the middle of the night would make me so anxious because I, the 
immediate thought was, oh my God, I'm never going to go back to sleep again. Right? Like I'm never going to be able to fall asleep again. Every night I'm going to wake up with anxiety. Every night I'm going to feel like this, or how am I going to get through the day? I'm going to be so tired because it's mm-hmm. three in the morning. And now I'm just like up with, with anxiety versus now, if I ever do experience even remnants of it, I'll immediately go to the place of like, okay, this is the day where stuff got up at three in the morning and she was feeling a little anxious and I so don't judge it. And it actually feels so much better. It doesn't mean that the anxiety goes away, but there's just not a resistance to it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's super powerful, right? Because it is, you know, you wake up, I've, I've experienced this. Many people that I work with experience this. It almost is like that thing of it feels more dangerous. Like at nighttime, yeah. it's so quiet. Like the world's yeah. dark. There's not anything really going on. And so it can be that, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do? What am I supposed to do? What can I do? Like, how do I fix this? How do I make this go away? Yeah. And I have to get back to sleep and, you know, yeah. all those stories and the things that you tell yourself. And it's like, okay, how about we just say like, yeah we woke up, we're feeling anxious. We're having a hard time. Get up, do something, walk around, like see how you feel, lay back down, like see if you can fall back asleep. Something that you hit on, you know, before we jumped into the nighttime anxiety part was really the meaning, like always looking for some sort of a a meaning and wanting to attach a meaning to things. Mm -hmm. And just like you said, like, how about instead we just let ourselves be human because we're often looking for why do I feel anxious? Why am I this way? You know, why can't I do whatever it is. And it's like, maybe instead of the why, because it really doesn't matter, like we're here now Mm -hmm. and you have to figure out how to move past this. Like what is a healthy action that I can take? How can I respond to this in a healthy way so that I am not feeding it, that I'm not just welcoming it in and allowing it to become bigger and bigger. And I love what you just said. It's, it's, A hundred percent. Like you wake up in the middle of the night, you're driving, whatever it is, like all, not, none of this stuff makes anxiety more dangerous. Like it's anxiety, call it out for what it is. Let it be there. You can listen to the stories that you're telling yourself. You can create different narratives in your mind. Like, okay, I'm feeling anxious. This is how I'm feeling. This is uncomfortable. I'm worried about this. And now let me see what I can do. Like, maybe I just need a minute and maybe I'll put on a meditation. Maybe I'll go for a walk. Maybe, you know, I, I am not a huge fan of coping skills. And I think that this is a big thing that, that I teach that's different than what a lot of people teach is what I found throughout my recovery is I was given a lot of coping skills and tools and mechanisms. And oftentimes at the slightest feeling of anxiety, I would go to a coping mechanism. I'd go to a tool. I'd immediately start like breath work or, you know, different Mm. mindfulness practices. And I wasn't giving myself the opportunity first to just slow down and acknowledge what was happening. I was just like using the coping mechanisms and the tools to make the anxiety go away. Like, okay, I wake up in the middle of the night, full-blown panic. Like, let me do this coping tool and hopefully it'll get rid of the anxiety. And it's like that, really did myself such a disservice because that's sort of where my brain always wanted to go. And then I just felt more anxious by using that coping mechanism or tool. So it can be really hard because oftentimes throughout the recovery journey, you just don't know, like you don't even know sometimes the things that you're doing that are really reinforcing the anxiety versus just allowing you to work through it in a healthy way. Do you believe, like, what are your thoughts on, so I am hundred percent highly sensitive and I know that you don't have to be an empath to be highly sensitive, but most highly sensitive people, you know, or more 
most empaths are highly sensitive. I don't know how they word it, but basically it's like, you, you don't have to be one or the other, but sometimes most likely they're combined. But anyways, yeah. with the highly sensitive person where their nervous system is just already super sensitive and they're, they're, you know, they're prone to anxiety. I think a lot of people who have those nervous, uh, nervous systems or sensitive nervous systems get triggered easily because of that. Do you think that that's something that you can ever reprogram or change? Or do you think that I hear what you're saying with the coping skills for sure, because for me, that was hundred percent the thing definitely at night where I was like, okay, meditation, okay, this. And then it was, it was, it stunk when like, none of that was working. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to get on the floor and do yoga. At like four in the morning, you know, um, instead of just like accepting and it sounds crazy. And I know there's someone listening. That's like, how can this possibly work? But just yeah. accepting that it's here. And the more you can just sit in it, it actually just slowly moves through a little bit, you know, it's just the resistance to it that I think it, it hangs on to you because it's like, okay, you're resisting me, which means you're feeding me, which means I'm just going to stay because this is right. Right. The story's true versus just like seeing that it's there and letting it like slowly pass. I never understood that at all. And I think when I sat in it, I, and I know I just went all over the place, but when I sat in it, I didn't, um, I, I just, I wanted it to go away. Like, and so it, I struggled with the resistance piece, but going back to the highly sensitive thing, I, I love different people's takes on this that really, really talk about anxiety and focus on this because I know my nervous system is super sensitive. So I'm like, for me, is this something where I'm always not going to always feel this way, but th- is this a part of who Stephanie is? I know it's probably a factor in terms of how much I have fed it and programmed myself to feel nervous about certain situations, but is this just part of my makeup or what do you think? Yeah. So I want to touch on both of the things that you talked about. Okay. So I'll first, I'll first <laughs> answer this question. So I, much like you, I think the story that you had mentioned a little while ago about always feeling anxious in school and like having the tummy aches and things like that. I think, yes, we all have, you know, certain things that make us who we are. And some of us, like you're saying, you know, you can be more empathetic, you can be a sensitive person, um, all of that stuff. But I think we also like tell ourselves these stories, right? Which I've heard time and time again of, I've just always been this way. Mm. I've just always been an anxious person. And for me, you know, I can totally resonate with the story of my tummy was an absolute mess at the start of every school year. I would like beg and plead with my mom, please don't make me go to school. Like I, I would get sick. Like I would vomit. I would like, it was awful. And so, but I think, you know, when you're an adult, you can form much more of a logical representation of maybe what was going on that like school when you're a little kid is scary, right? It's like big. It's you're going through consistent change. You're around so many different people, like new experiences. You're, you're having that separation from these people that have always been your caretakers and likely you've had much smaller communities taking care of you when you Mm. were younger. All of this is a lot. So I think in general, you know, you're going to have some kids who are much more sensitive to that stuff and other kids who are like, 
whatever. Like I'm totally going with the flow and that's fine. You know, that's part of being human. We all are designed differently, but I think it's when we really try to attach that meaning to like, Mm. I'm just an anxious person. This is just who I am. And Mm. I did this for years. And I hear people say this stuff um, today, like even therapists. And I think it can kind of be a dangerous thing to label yourself as being an anxious person, because Mm. for me, you know, I'm an emotional person, so I get emotional even talking about this stuff now, but I did this for years to myself. I labeled myself as an anxious person. I labeled myself as somebody who could never move through the world differently and Mm. with more ease and somebody that wasn't so affected by the slightest things. You know, I'd always do that thing where these people, you know, normal people can do these normal things and have no problems. And it's like, you know, there's two part of that, like probably no, not true. Like you don't know what other people are going through, but like, it's also okay that I am moving through the world this way and experiencing it this way. And I don't need to attach such deep meaning to it. Like people experience anxiety, anxiety is an emotion. You're allowed to feel the emotion. Like don't beat yourself up for feeling it and experiencing it in the way that you do. I think it's just the dangerous part when you start to really like form that strong, I'm an anxious person. I I can't ever be any differently. And I can tell you my life looks a whole hell of a lot different than it used to. Like I don't move about the world. Like I used to, I travel, I go on airplanes all the time. I hike incredible mountains. I move freely throughout the world. But like something you said earlier, that is really, really important is knowing this stuff about yourself and allowing yourself to acknowledge, like my nervous system is sensitive. I know, I know myself and I know some things that are going to pop up. It's all in how you respond to that stuff, right? When it pops up and also doing the work, like you said, like I need to spend more time in nature. I love me some vitamin D. I love moving my body. I love, you know, doing all the self-work stuff because I know if I do that, my nervous system is going to be much more regulated and I'm going to feel calmer and I'm going to feel like I'm able to approach harder things and not have it be so hard. So there's so much to it. Right. But I really yeah. would love for people to start getting away from the, I'm an anxious person. Yeah. And yeah. like, I really would love to break that <laughs> down. Yeah. In no, every for sure. Do you think there's something that we could have received growing up that would have helped us to maybe not go down that, this, this road of some of, of this struggle that we're trying to like break free from? Yeah, a thousand percent. Right. I mean, like you said, you know, your parents didn't really talk to you about it. Like anxiety wasn't something that people really talked about. It's not even really something in today's world that gets talked about in school. You know, you, we really don't talk about how to manage emotions, um, what your emotions are, like how you can respond to them in a healthy way. Sort of as parents, you know, I have a three and a half year old, almost four year old. And it can be really challenging as a parent to approach these situations with a little child to say, okay, I want her to have a healthy relationship with her emotions. Let me pause. Cause I need a second yeah. to think of how to best teach her in this moment. And obviously she learns most from me and how I approach things. And, you know, one of the big things that is popping into my head right now is I work with a lot of moms that struggle with anxiety and they'll often talk about, you know, I don't want my kids to see it. I don't want them to take on my struggle. I don't want them to have to experience this. I fully tell my son. (laughs) Yeah. Like mom's feeling a little anxious right now. That's okay. I know how to handle it. We're good. Like, yeah. And I I love that because I think as an adult, right. You can, 
can have that acknowledgement of if I try to hide my emotions from my kids, what is that teaching my kids? You know, it's teaching your kids anxiety is too big. It's too scary. We don't talk about it. You know, you're not allowed to feel it. And so they get that messaging and they learn yeah, suppress it. Don't let it be there, you know, fight it. It's not something that you want to come up against because it's too big. It's too scary. And it's like, well, if maybe if you just put it out there, right. And we have more discussions about it and kids can really acknowledge like, oh, like it's okay to feel this way. And here's how I can respond to it in a healthy way. That's, that stuff's huge. So yeah, I think there's definitely a lack of education. Um, And just to like, it's the big part, right. In our culture, we're not very good with this is just allowing ourselves to be human. Like, right. We're human. Things are Girl, say it. <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's true. For me, if I would have received more validation for how I was feeling, I think that would have been so incredibly huge. But instead, I was not judged, meaning like you're weird, you're crazy, you're a freak, you know, all those things. I never heard that, but I didn't hear validation. And I think as a child, validation is literally the number one thing. I mean, even within your own self, like it's the number one thing that a child craves that they need in order to grow up to be a healthy adult, because it gives them that reinforcement that what they're feeling is okay. And they need to see it mirrored from the adults around them because they're not, they don't know how to do that for themselves. So if someone would have said, Hey, I think what you're experiencing is this. And you know, it's funny. Cause like my mom knew, I think she, maybe she didn't know to na- label it as anxiety, but she definitely knew like, you're nervous. Like you, you feel a lot like, you, you know, like she love her. You know what I mean? She did the best she can, but I mean, that, that was just, wasn't something back in the eighties. <laughs> I'm aging myself that was talked <laughs> about, you know, and I think mindful parenting now is, and look, it's still hard. Yes. We're mindful parents and we try to be, but it's still super hard, right? Like we're, we're humans too. And we're juggling so much in a day and raising humans that it's, it's, it can be a challenge. Right. But I think if I would have gotten that validation, it would have been way such a huge thing for me to grow up to say it's normal versus making myself feel like this is not normal. I I don't know why I feel like this because it just wasn't something that was acknowledged or talked about. Yeah. I think you're totally right. I mean, validation is huge with our emotions, how we're feeling and also having that consistency, right? Of like, I am having my needs met in a healthy way from my parents, which a lot of children, unfortunately, lack that. And, you know, I was one of those kids. I had a parent that was very inconsistent and, you know, wasn't able to manage his emotions in a healthy way. And that was really, really tough for me because what I learned was, yeah, I don't talk about this. I can't depend on you to help me to work through this. And so I often went inward. I got quiet. It's how I, you know, I kept myself safe. And Mm. so some of those things like, you know, and I carried into my adulthood and they were mechanisms that worked when I was a kid, but didn't work so much as an adult. So (laughs) unfortunately I had to work through all that stuff, which, you know, the best thing we can do as parents, right. Is educate ourselves, understand, and like talk freely about emotions and teach our kids how to have healthy responses to their emotions. So I want to go back to you to the second piece that you were talking about, which was like sitting with the anxiety, right? Because Mm -hmm. I don't want anyone that's been listening to this to think, okay, this is the answer and this is going to be great. This is going to be easy. And it's like two pieces, it is going to suck and it is going to be really hard because Mm -hmm. your brain has been taught 
how to respond to it in a healthy way for probably quite some time. And so when you're teaching your brain any new way of approaching anything, it's really tough. Your brain has a really tough time figuring out how to do it. And oftentimes when you're teaching it something new, it's going to scream back at you and say, no, 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 what are you doing? That other way that you used to respond was way better than this. Like this feels awful. And when you start to acknowledge your thoughts, you allow yourself to feel what you're feeling. You do all these healthy actions. Your brain does start to scream and sound the alarms and like you experience more anxiety and panic. And, you know, I remember when I started taking the healthy action, I, it felt worse. Like that It felt like it was all hitting me tenfold. And I then went to the place where I'd convinced myself, see, I can't figure this out. I'm always going to be this way. Like what is wrong with me? And this doesn't work. This, this is just another thing that doesn't work. And so it's something like we said in the very beginning, it takes practice. And so I don't want anyone thinking like, oh, I'm going to try this out and it's going to be great. And it's, it's really, really tough stuff, but you've got to give yourself the opportunity to start to respond to it in a different way so that you can realize and understand what your brain is capable of. Cause it's capable of so much more than you right, give it credit right. for. I think like one of the biggest things that I teach all my clients is a process called self-parenting. And I'm sure you probably have heard of it um, in, to some degree. I mean, it's essentially the ability to have a conversation with yourself. It's, we all have that inner child. You're always going to have that part of you. You're always going to have that part of you from the past, how you were raised, your upbringing, your programming, whatever you want to call it. So whether it's the inner child or the ego, whatever comes up first for you, I always tell people the inner child sounds sad you know what I mean? And scared. And the ego is just straight up a bully. (laughs) I'm like, so it's very easy to tell who's talking. So when those two voices come up and those two voices live in the back of the mind. So if that's 90% of your day or 80% of your day, that conversation is coming from that part of your, of your brain, of your mind, then the way you consciously respond, right? We only, what do they say? We only use 10% of our conscious mind. So if the way you respond is coming from the conscious mind, that's your actual real self, your, your logical self, your healthy self, whatever soul intuition, whatever word works best for you. And so I kind of teach that I teach my clients the ability to do this, to recognize the story in the back that's coming up and to not attach to it and to validate it and to soothe it. I think emotional health is something that is incredibly, it's crazy to me that it's something that we don't know how to do for ourselves. You know, we can, we can motivate ourselves. We can push it under the rug because that's a lot of people that was the family environment that we grew up in, no acknowledgement and just pushing things under the rug or judging them and and things like that. Those are the patterns that we learn, but to do the opposite of validation, detachment, soothing, those three things. I mean, that that is, that's emotional health, right? Which is for me under that bucket of mental health. So there has to be, how do I emotionally take care of myself? How do I logically take care of myself and understanding the difference between the two, right? And for me, that process of being in environments, whether I was on a first date after my divorce and I'm getting anxious because I'm across the table from this guy and what is he thinking? You know what I mean? Or, or I had social anxiety for years where I didn't enjoy being in crowds of people talking, Mm -hmm. you know, or even just talking one-on-one with even a friend. I felt the need to talk really fast and like to get it out there or to drive on the highway and go somewhere out of my comfort zone. Like all these different situations 
that when I started like really learning, like, okay, how do I have this conversation with myself? How do I be, if I'm that little child that's still feeling all of those things, how do I be the parent? Like, what did I need to hear growing up? And, and really this clicked for me when I had my son. And I was like, if this, this thought was coming from him and he's in the back seat and he looks at me and he's like, oh my God, mom, we're on the highway right now. Like, what if I just freak out? And I, blah, blah, blah. you know, and he's going a mile a minute. Like, what would I do? I would never look at him and be like, oh my God, yes, we're going to go off the highway and this is going to be so incredibly bad. And you would never do that for anyone, let alone your child, but even a total stranger, you wouldn't be able to do that because you're detached from the story. He's emotionally having it in his head, but you're on the outside. And so when I kind of got that process, I'm like, shit, this is a game changer because it allowed me to have more control over myself versus just letting myself just go down these rabbit holes so quickly. Yeah. You're exactly right. I love that. So I'm a huge proponent of like your self-talk. And once you start to become aware of how you talk to yourself, then you can actually do the work of changing it to start to talk to yourself in a more healthy and kind way. And it's exactly what you're saying. Like we've all heard that. How would you talk to a loved one who's experiencing what you're experiencing? And yes, you're not going to beat them up. You're not going to not validate their feelings or their experience. You're going to do all the opposite of that. And that's exactly what you need. Like, you know, I look at my daughter all the time and she's running up against a lot of tough things as a little girl trying to navigate and figure out and learn all these different things. And she can so easily get frustrated. And, you know, I'm so kind to her. It's like, I think in a day I give her like, you know, a hundred messages (laughs) at least and like motivation and all of that. And I'm like completely backing her. And then I'm like, okay, this is a good reminder, Shannon. Like when's the last time you gave yourself a kind message? When's the last time you talk to yourself this way and like not just doing it in those moments where you find yourself beating yourself up but just like in general like hey like acknowledging I am making amazing progress I'm doing amazing things I wasn't able to do that two weeks ago I'm doing it now like how amazing of me like all that stuff like we need that just as much as a little kid needs that Well, yeah. And I think you touched on a good point of if you do it throughout the day, if you do like the little bits, don't just come in and try to handle the big stuff because Mm -hmm. my, my whole belief is I have to learn how to build trust with myself. And for so many years, because I was unaware, I didn't know, um, I abandoned myself. I made myself feel worse. I fed those stories and I went down rabbit holes. And so it took me the practice of doing this was really the practice of building trust within myself that when I say to myself, Hey, look, we're okay. That, that part of me, that inner child was like, okay, all right. I believe you. And that's where for me, it started going away quicker or it it wasn't staying with me or wasn't taking me down rabbit holes because I had been doing the work, not just in those catastrophic moments, but in the little moments of like, Hey, you did a great job. Hey, like, I'm so incredibly proud of you. I'm a big advocator of affirmations. I tell people all the time, listen to them all the time, as much as you possibly can, because you need to get that in to the back of the mind. And right now what's there is just super unhealthy. And so the only way you can really get rid of that old way is to become that new version, right? And that just takes time. Yeah, it takes time and so much practice and it's hard and you have to be gentle with yourself. And that is the type of work though that has you starting to trust and rely on and believe yourself more, believe in yourself. And 
that's one of the hardest pieces in life, right? Yeah. Is trusting that you are capable, trusting that you can work through things on your own, trusting that you can do whatever it is, you know, and being able to say, like, I believe in myself, like I can yeah. do this. And, you know, until you start to do that self-work, like you really, you're not going to believe it. You're not, yeah. you know, no. I, t- I love affirmations. I love mantras, all that stuff. And a lot of times, you know, when I started to do the work, I didn't believe in half the shit I was telling myself, right. but you know, I came <laughs> to believe it and it wasn't like that affirmations or the mantras did the work, but they helped to support me in doing the hard work. Right. I love this. Thank you so much for coming on. I think it was such a, I really, I mean, it definitely helps people. Cause I think if, if anything, if you can at least get validation, I think that that's huge. I wish I would have at least gotten that validation to start. And that's where it starts, right. Is being like, okay, this is normal and I'm going to be fine. And I'm going to learn how to take care of myself in order to, you know, deal with these things. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Shannon. Yeah, you're so welcome. This has been so enjoyable. I've had so, so much fun. So where can fun. people find you? That's what we yeah. want. I am primarily on Instagram. So at a healthy push, um, you can also find me on my website, a healthy push.com. Um, very, very active on Instagram reels. You can DM me whatever you'd like. I offer courses, the whole thing, but I love Instagram. So you can find me there. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thanks guys. Listen, we will see you next week and take care.